As we are transitioning, we're a church in transition and we're moving into um, our own space. You know, for 10 years we have set up and and tore down as a church on a Sunday morning and um, we're moving into our own space. And um, whilst that's exciting and um, there's lots to look forward to, we all know the church isn't a building, don't we? Um, That it's not bricks and mortar. Um, That actually church is people. And um, we're all... Uh, this, this, the community of God's people, we, we we call the church, and so we're just really spending this this summer uh, thinking about some things that make church church, if that makes sense. Um, and and so it could could sound a little bit egotistical because we're talking about ourselves, um, but really we're just kind of reminding ourselves what are some of the important things uh, about who we are, and I guess. The subtext to that is we're saying this is the kind of church we want to be. Uh, these are the kind of people we want to be. And so last week we began uh, by talking about being a generous church, uh, being generous with our time, our energy, our money, our resources. Um, and this week I want to talk about being a worshipping church. Uh, worship, as defined by John Wimber, uh, is the act of freely giving love to God. It forms and informs every activity of a Christian's life. And so if something forms and informs uh, every part of our lives, then in some ways it has to be a priority. Uh, And simply a priority is something that we give ourselves to on a regular basis. It's something that we engage with as often as we can. It's something that we make routine space for uh, in our lives. Now, if you're unsure what your priorities are, uh, then there are a couple of things that you can do. Uh, You can take a look at your bank statements, and you can have a look at your diary. Um, Because those two things will help you determine uh, what is a priority in your life. The things that you give your time, your energy, and your, your money to. And so um, worship, uh, for those that follow Jesus, is meant to be a priority. It's meant to be something that, that makes the top list. Um, it's, it's the thing that's meant to be most important. And, and there's a number of reasons why we understand worship to be a priority. And the first would be it's our greatest command, isn't it? Um, Matthew 22, uh, 37, Jesus declares um, the greatest commandment is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. That, that you and I are called to worship and devote ourselves to God with everything that we have. Um, Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote a lot of the New Testament, he reinforces this in Romans 12.1. He says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of, of worship. And so the priority of worship involves every area of our lives. You know, when you get up, um, when you go to work, when you eat, when you drink, when you drive your car. Some of us need to hear that. Um, The way you bring up your kids. They're all expressions 
of worship and devotion. And I think we all know this, don't we? We all know that worship doesn't begin and end for 25 minutes on a Sunday morning. That worship is, is a lifestyle choice. It's, it's the way we orientate ourselves. And I guess the, the challenge is, is how is worship going? That actually the sum of our worship on a Sunday morning, the experience of our worship, is actually really the overflow of what we've been doing the rest of the week, isn't it? Yeah? And so when we, when we gather in environments like this and we come to an act of worship, is it flowing out of a lifestyle of worship or is it a little bit of a struggle? Do we, do we need a bit of warming up uh, on, on a Sunday morning? And, and so um, how we worship and how we approach worship uh, tells us a lot about ourselves. Um, worship is also a priority because it's our most natural response uh, to who God is. When we, we begin to fully realise uh, what Jesus has done, that he's brought us back, he's reconciled us to the Father, that he's, uh, that he's restored a, a right relationship with God, our natural response should be, to surrender and worship. That, that when we fully grasp the magnitude of what, what he's done. And it says in 1 John 4.19, it, it sums it up like this. It says, we love because he first loved us. That we respond to him in worship. We give ourselves to him in worship because he first gave himself to us. So worship is our most natural response. The other thing that kind of shapes worship as a priority is is that we are made by God to be worshippers. 1 1 Peter 2 says this, uh, that God has called us to declare the praises of him who's called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. Um, The Westminster Catechism says this, the chief end of man is to worship God and enjoy him forever. And so we're all made with an ability to worship. And we all know how to worship. It's in all of us, whether whether we realize it or not. We all know how to make certain things the centre of our attention, don't we? We, we all know how uh, perhaps to become a little bit obsessive about certain Apple products. Um, you know, we all know um, how to direct worship towards something. And, and the reality is, is that when we don't direct worship towards God, we inevitably direct it to something else. Uh, a vineyard theologian called Don Williams, he wrote a book called um, 12 Steps with Jesus. And he was talking about worship as it relates to the subject of addiction. And he says this, he says, Addiction is nothing other than being lured into worshipping something or someone other than the living God. 
Addiction happens when we attach our desires to someone or something that controls us. As that attachment grows, it consumes us. Little by little, we become captive to the very thing that gave us pleasure and meaning. And so all of us, whether we call ourselves a Christian, whether we call ourselves a follower of Jesus, are worshippers. All of us know how to submit and surrender uh, and get attached to something or someone. And um, as, as worshippers, we inevitably become like the thing we worship. Again, Don Williams goes on to say, he says, worship money and you'll become a greedy person. Worship sex and you'll become a lustful person. Worship power and you'll become a corrupt person. Worship Jesus and you'll become a Christ-like person. You see, the goal of following Jesus isn't just to get our ticket stamped so we get to go to heaven uh, when we die. And the goal isn't to just be a nicer person. Um, The goal isn't to have a better marriage or a job. The goal of following Jesus is a conversion of our object of worship. And so instead of worshipping money or our lusts, or our careers, or our sexuality. Following Jesus, becoming a Christian, means becoming a worshipper of Christ. It means no other person, no other pursuit, no other obsession comes before worshipping him. We're called to be submitted and surrendered to him, and attach ourselves to to nothing else. The former Archbishop William Temple, he says this, he he sums it up this way, he says, worship is the submission of all our nature to God. It quickens the conscience by the holiness of God to feed the mind with the truth of God, to purge the imagination with the beauty of God, to open the heart to the love of God and to devote the will to the purpose of God. So if you've got a Bible, why don't you turn to 2 Samuel uh, chapter 6. I want to look at a slightly peculiar passage briefly uh, as we think about this subject of worship. Just checking if there's any hard words in there. Um, 2 Samuel 6, and just right from the start. Um, let, me, let me just read. It says, David again brought together all the abled young men of Israel, 30,000. He and all the men went to Bela in Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name the Almighty, the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim on the ark. They set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab which was on the hill. Uzzah and Hao, sons of Abinadab, uh, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it. And Hao was walking in front of it. David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with castanets, harps, lairs, tambourines, rattles and cymbals. I've got no idea what that looks like. Um, but just to kind of put um, some... some Castanets. That's the one that gets me. But um, just to um, 
put some context to this. Um, king David, you will know, is this king that uh, uh, was anointed as a shepherd boy. He was made king of Israel. And uh, David has captured Jerusalem from the Canaanites, and Jerusalem has become their na- the nation's capital. And not only is it the, uh, the centre for government, but David also wants to make it the centre uh, for the worship of Yahweh. And so he's ordered for the Ark of God to be transported from, from the house of Abinadab, where it's been, been kept, into Jerusalem. And so the Ark, or the Ark of the Covenant, if any of you have seen Indiana Jones, you'll know what I'm talking about. Not that you've read your Bibles, but uh, because you've seen Indiana Jones. Um, but the Ark of the Covenant was a wooden box uh, covered in gold inside and out. Uh, it was about a metre long and about 70 centimetres wide uh, and high. And inside of the Ark were a number of different objects. Uh, first of all, there was the stone tablets of the Ten Commandments. Uh, there was Aaron's rod. And there was also some manna, the bread that God miraculously provided uh, to the Israelites whilst they were in the wilderness. And then on the lid uh, of the ark were two angels. Um, I think we've got a picture, actually. Uh, There were two angels. And you'll see their faces. uh, They were faced faced down, turned down uh, to avoid um, the face of God who was present, it was believed that God's presence dwelled um, above the ark. And so every single object inside of the ark actually points towards something. Uh, It points towards Jesus. And um, as we unpack this passage this morning, hopefully we'll see how some of those things characterise worship uh, in the life of the church. Now, our expectation in worship is always God's presence, isn't it? That Jesus' presence will be amongst us. We're not just here singing songs, um, which, we've, you know, which we've gathered to do today. But when we gather like we do, we gather with a level of expectancy. Uh, it's our desire that in our worship, in our act of worship... Uh, that we encounter him, that, that Jesus himself comes and he, he presences himself amongst us. And so these, these objects in the ark, which is the place where God's presence was, point us uh, towards the presence of Jesus in worship. And so the, the Ten Commandments, the, you know, these stone tablets... Um, uh, which summarise God's law. They reveal the standard that God had set, which none of us could live to, could we? No, everybody is a lawbreaker. And um, the only person to keep the law in all its purity uh, was Jesus himself. And, and, and so because of his obedience, even to the point of death, you and I get to enter into his presence. Um, You and I get to enter into his presence and experience salvation. And so these these commandments point to the fact that Jesus, the innocent one, the one who kept the law, 
has made a way. He's, he's brought us into uh, his presence. And then we have uh, Aaron's rod. You know, God called Aaron to be, and his descendants to be high priests. And, and God took this, this guy's shepherd's staff, a, a simple wood stick, uh, a dead stick, and he infused it with life. And some of you remember, it, it blossomed with almonds for some reason. Um, and and it, it was brought to life. And again, this, this rod points towards Jesus, who became a dead stick uh, for our sin. And suddenly was infused with life. Just as, and so this, this, uh, this rod that was given new life is, is kind of a picture of the resurrection of, of Jesus. And then we see the manna, uh, the manna being the thing that sustained God's people in the wilderness. And Jesus himself identifies with being uh, God's manna from heaven. John 6 35, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. See, Jesus is our sustainer. He's the bread from heaven. He is all that we need. And so we experience his presence in worship, don't we? That, that's, that's our experience. That's our expectation that when we gather corporately, when we make the choice to worship, our expectation that he, he's going to come and walk amongst us, that he is going to come and engage with us and meet with us uh, in, in new ways. We also see worship um, as the expectation that involves celebration. And, and we see this at the end of the passage in in. Um, Verse 5 of chapter 6, he says, David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with castanets, harps, lyres, tambourines, rattles, and cymbals. And so we have this kind of crazy picture of celebration going on in God's presence, that worship is an act of celebration. John Stott says this, he says, The great faiths of the world, including Buddhism and Islam, do not understand the access to God that Christians enjoy. The clearest proof of this is the simplest. It lies in the hymns of Christian worship. A Buddhist temple never resounds with the cry of praise, and Muslim worshippers never sing for joy in a mosque. Their prayers are at their highest, prayers of submission and request. They seldom reach the joyful notes of thanksgiving. They are never jubilant, with the sound of forgiveness. By contrast, whenever Christian people come together, it is almost impossible to stop them singing. The Christian community is a community of celebration. And so when we gather together as a people, something that should always characterize our worship is celebration. Celebration in his presence. Now, celebration has nothing to do with tempo, okay? It has nothing to do with tempo, but it has everything to do with passion and the position of our heart. You know, we can sing the most jubilant songs and not be celebrating, can't we? You know, we can do all the actions, we can clap our hands, we can jump around 
and have no engagement with what going, what's going on. But actually, it's about passion of the heart. It's about what we're bringing into the environment of worship. Now, you might say, that's all well and good, but you don't know what kind of week I've had. <laughs> you know, I'm going for it at the moment. Life's really hard. Work's really tough. Um, wasn't it enough that I dragged myself to church this morning? You know, and you expect me to have passion and celebration too. Paul in 2 Corinthians 6, he says this, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing yet possessing everything. It's possible to rejoice even in sorrow and pain and in grief. And the picture that we see in the New Testament of God's people are ones of celebrating when their circumstances weren't always going so well. You know, they worshipped in prison. They worshipped after being beaten. They, they worshipped in extreme difficult situations because their faith looked beyond their current circumstances. They, they looked um, at the life that was offered to them in Christ. And so maybe you've had a terrible week. Um, maybe your circumstances right now are awful. Maybe you don't feel like you can celebrate many victories in life at the moment. Maybe there aren't that many victories in your finances or in your health or in a relationship or whatever it might be. But what might those circumstances look like if we were to view them through what Jesus has already accomplished, for what Jesus has already done? You see, by faith, we've all overcome our circumstances, haven't we? That by faith, we can overcome our addictions. By faith, our enemies are defeated. By faith, week after week, we can come, we can worship with celebration and passion. And I really believe it's possible for us to be experiencing sorrow and yet at the same time rejoicing. It's possible to be in that place because we can still rejoice in what Jesus has accomplished. It's possible to celebrate and not be in full control of our circumstances by placing our hope in him and what he's done. And we see in this passage that it's in the midst of celebration something goes wrong. Verse 6, it says this. Um, verse 6 of chapter 6 of 2 Samuel, it says, uh, When they come to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. Worship doesn't just require celebration and passion. It also involves obedience. 
You see, God, uh, you see God's specific command um, about the Ark of the Covenant was, was it should be transported in a certain way. And uh, on the Ark, there were these, these loops which the high priest would put poles into and, and, they, and they would carry it. And, and, and so we see that the people have taken the Ark and they've, they've kind of put it on a cart. And they're transporting it in a way that God said, don't do that. And, and, you know, as we read a passage like this, we can think, well, that's a little bit harsh. He was only trying to stop it from falling over. You know, um, heaven forbid you spill a coffee. That's what I'm saying. Um, particularly when we're in our new building. Um, <laughs> But I think, I think we, can get, we can get lost in what's happened and miss what's actually going on. There's something uh, about this guy, Uzza, uh, without, other than having a peculiar name, that, that might illustrate something to us. So you see, he's the son of Abinadab, and he grew up in a home where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. And so um, Uzza sees the Ark of God every single day growing up. Now that's kind of an amazing privilege, isn't it? You know, as a boy crawling around his living room, there's the Ark of the Covenant hiding behind the curtains. Um, But I think that's where his problem is too. You see, uh, it's easy for him to become over-familiar with God. Oh yeah, that's that box that Dad has kept in his office for the last 20 years. And maybe he could be, Uzzah could be a picture of many of us who have been around church for a long time. Maybe some of us who would consider ourselves like second generation Christians. You know, we, we grew up in church. And, and, and maybe, you know, we grew up in church and we know all the right Sunday school answers and you know, uh, maybe growing up in church, you gave your life to Jesus every week, like I did, just to make sure it worked. You know, um, maybe you sang "Jesus Loves Me" over and over again growing up, and um, you know all the stuff. You know how to be a Christian. And I think when we when we're in that position, sometimes we can lose our reverence for who who God is at times. We can let things slip. You know, does it really matter that we're transporting this ark on a cart? It, it kind of makes life a bit easier if we do it this way. You know, if we do it God's way, it's, it's going to take a long time. And sometimes we can have that kind of attitude towards God, can't we? That, you know, it's okay. I know how God acts. You know, I've been around this, this for a long time now. I know how it works. I'm, I'm sure God, God won't mind if we... We just bend the rules a little bit this morning. But I believe, and I could be wrong, that, that the problem wasn't he touched the ark. But, but it was his over-familiarity with God and his lack of obedience to do what command, God commanded him to do in the first place. And so it's important for us to see the tension 
between celebration and obedience. You see, in the midst of celebration, in the midst of enjoying God, in the midst of expressing our passion to God, it's easy for us to become over-familiar with God, isn't it? To become fast and loose with what he's commanded us. And God becomes the almighty rather than the almighty. And so we begin to justify ourselves. We think God doesn't care that much. It doesn't, it doesn't matter too much. Surely if God cared, he wouldn't use me the way he's used me. You know, I had the opportunity to pray for that person. They got healed and, you know, I spoke that word into someone's life and it was okay. You know, I know, I know I, I've been naughty, but, you know, it's, it, it, it's okay. But the truth is, what God does through us isn't a substitute for what God wants to do in us. And so often we mistake our spiritual impact for our relationship with God. And so we think we're doing good things for God and therefore everything's okay. But actually the thing that he wants is, is obedience. Jesus warns us about this in, in Matthew 7. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, did not we prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. See, worship is not just about our enjoyment of God's presence. Worship also involves all-hearted obedience. Where we're saying to God, whatever. Speak to me, Lord. Deal with me, Lord. Whatever you need to do. Put your finger on those areas of my life that are not walking in obedience to you. Make me wholly yours. Knock down the idols that are in my heart. Convert me entirely to be a worshipper of you. You see, our worship should be about getting past the show and the hype and become a simple, authentic step of obedience towards him. And I think when, that, when we realise that, we've got one or two options. We either leg it and we either run and think... I can't deal with that, God. I can't let you put your finger on those areas of my life right now. And so we run away. And I remember being someone who grew up in church, that's what I did. Most of my teenage life, I run away. Or we can just run into his arms. That's what we sang this morning, didn't we? I'm running into your arms. The riches of your love has always been enough. And so this is church. Church is, is to be a worshipping people. That worship is going to be our priority. That it, it forms and informs everything that we are. You know, if you don't like singing songs, the vineyard is a bad place for you to be. Because we want to be people who worship. And we're going to give ourselves to worship. And our expectation in worship is, firstly, his presence is amongst us. He, he's going to be with us. 
We expect to encounter him. We expect to experience him. And it's in that place of encounter, uh, it's in that place where we can, we can celebrate all that God has done, but then make that choice to walk in obedience, to be obedient to what he's saying. You know, I know, peop- I know dozens of people that in a place of worship, they've heard the voice of the Lord and he said, I want you to go and do this. And they've gone, okay, Lord, whatever you say. And so it's from that place of of worship that we step into a walk of obedience. And so why don't we why don't we stand? And um, we've we've gone a little bit over, so I'm going to just pray for us, and then uh, we'll we'll maybe minister to some folks. But I just, want to, I just want to pray for the Holy Spirit to just come and meet with us right now and then be able to dismiss you. And if any of you want to receive some prayer this morning, we'd love, we'd love to do that. And so Holy Spirit, we just, we just, um, we just say, come. Uh, we invite your presence, Lord. And we just say, more of you. That Lord, you'd show us um, what it means for us to be a worshipping people. That Lord, you'd remind us that um, that there's there's moments to encounter you. That Lord, when we walk into environments like this one, we would come expecting to encounter you, Lord. That it wouldn't just be singing a few songs and then moving on to the next thing. That, Lord, this would be a place of encounter. That, Lord, you would inhabit our worship as we gather as a people. And, Father, give us expectant hearts. Expectant hearts. And Father, we just pray um, that you would release passion in us, Lord. Fresh passion. Passion to worship and celebrate you and everything that you've done. But Lord, also show us what it means to walk in obedience. That Father, we pray that men and women boys and girls would find their call, find their identity, find what it is you have planned for them in the place of worship. That Lord, as we celebrate you, as we experience your presence, you would speak and we would act in obedience. Lord. And so as we, as we finish up this morning, we would love to just pray for any of you who God's just stirring stuff in. You know, maybe it's just a sense of, you know, I need passion back. Um, I've, I've got into a routine with worship. I, I, I don't think I've really brought my passion into that for a while. And maybe that's something you just need prayer for this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and you're just wrestling with something you know God is saying to you. <laughs> And you need to be obedient to what he's saying. You need to step out. You need to 
to just respond to him. You, need to, you know, there's no such thing as no Lord um, in the Bible. It's always yes, Lord, isn't it? And so we would love to just stand with some of you this morning who, who are feeling that way. So Father, just go before us this morning, Lord. Um, be upon us this week. Uh, Lord, we pray for the breakthroughs we long for this week. And Lord, we pray that the tennis goes well. In Jesus' name.